Welcome to Dwarf Fortress Roundtable, the podcast for all things dwarfy. I'm Jonathan. I'm Roland. I'm Tony. And I'm Alexi. Back again. You're the first guest that we have had come back on, so I think that you officially get the title Friend of the Podcast now. Oh, <laughs> delightful. <laughs> yeah, no, super, super psyched to be back. As I said before, I will always talk about Dwarf Fortress when anyone gives me the slightest excuse. Before we opened the mics, we were talking about uh, dog biscuits. And kitten biscuits. And baby powder. Dwarven and, baby powder. And it turned very <laughs> dark very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, this is where it gets to be a bit of a tough sell if you start talking about things that are pretty normalized in the Dwarf Fortress community, like eating your pets and making cat leather shoes. People start getting really weirded out quickly, like, oh, that sounds awful. But, um, you know, it's just you, you get into it and you roll with it. And suddenly the idea of a, a scepter encrusted with cat skulls isn't, isn't quite as disturbing of an idea as you might think. So there's that. It's when they uh, use things like nails or eyelashes <laughs> that really, <laughs> that still throws me for a loop. <laughs> Or the, or the lower lower back tooth. <laughs> yeah, really, the specificity really frightens me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the good thing is you can't actually take someone's pet and make it into shoes for him. So <laughs> that's a plus, because Jeez. that would be just mean. Maybe we can get that as a feature request. I mean, you could mod it, I bet. I wonder, could could we do that, though? Like, is there a way that you could pull that off by having custom stockpiles? And... Yeah, I think with stockpiles, you could probably do that. Or, or, or Roland, are you saying you can't actually, if, some, if something's someone's pet, you can't kill it? Yeah, you can't really, you, you can't really kill it. You have to make an elaborate trap mechanism yes. or have an unfortunate accident to kill it. And then I wouldn't be even sure if you can tan it mm. um, because sometimes they will just bury it and that's it. Right. Just in the way that you, well, no, you can have a dwarf bone scepter. So I was going to say if it's dwarves, they, you know, you can't, they're not cannibals. Well, well, Are uh, they or can uh, they be? Um, that's a fell mood. You have to yeah. have a fell mood to have something made from dwarf bone. And uh, a Felmut dwarf will not go after any pets. So I've never had a Felmut in the whole time I've played this game, two in some years. What, have, what am I doing wrong? Um, <laughs> I want a Felmut, damn it. I think you're just too friendly to your dwarfs. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, a dwarf has to snap in order to get a foul mood. And then it has to be a dwarf that is even open to the possibility of having a foul mood because not every dwarf will snap in that direction. So the best thing about getting a foul mood is just letting it spiral for a while and then seeing who's like the worst of the bunch. There was a description back a few years ago on Dwarf Fortress Talk where Tony described what it took to get a dwarf into a fell mood. And it is a combination of first, he has to be a dwarf that is, was chosen by the dice rolls for uh, making an artifact. And then he also has to be, I believe like at a particular percent of unhappiness. So if you're working really hard to keep your dwarves happy, 
then uh, then you're probably not going to have a very good chance of getting a fell mood because it's got to be a miserable dwarf who also happens to get chosen to create an artifact, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I forgot that that was even a thing. But now that I think back, when I first started playing Dwarf Fortress, I think I got fell mood and some of the other like different variations of moods, which was also back when I was much worse at keeping my dwarves happy. I've had a fell mood and um, it was early on and I didn't appreciate how rare it could be. So of course, like, like Alexi, my dwarves were pretty much all miserable at that point. I think that was the fortress that I ended up letting ghosts just hang around for a while. (laughs) And eventually it just turned into a total cesspool of madness. So I had only one and I tried my best uh, to get one. I was not really into getting a fell mood, but yeah, I found a dwarf I didn't like, and then I just walled him off maybe and uh, used him for my um, silk farm, and he kind of turned bad. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> he then, uh, and that way I found out that they will not kill visitors, which is very interesting. Really? Well, you can have them kill visitors, can't you? I think you can target a visitor, can't you? With the um, military? Yeah, with the military, but the fell mood dwarf just ignored the dancers. Oh, yeah. And the okay. dancers uh, were, like, super, super psyched out about that and just ran away, and he ignored them completely and went into a bedroom and snapped someone's neck. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> pretty gruesome. So why is it when we're talking about these nasty things, I keep getting Al Pacino movies in my head. You talk about having an unfortunate accident, knocking off a pet. And I think of, you know, Hitman and the Godfather. You talk about the dwarf in a fell mood, avoiding the dancers. I think of like the, the club scene in Scarface. <laughs> Maybe that's the secret inspiration behind Dwarf Fortress. It is interesting that the way you get used to things and the words that we use, we talk a lot about fun. <laughs> It starts to carry a different meaning, and it's weird stuff will still be surprising. Like I, I mentioned before you started recording, I've been uh, reading Room Carnage this morning after listening to the Halloween episode, and I'm pretty used to a lot of dwarfy stuff, but I didn't actually know they do in the beginning a thing where they're dropping animals down a pit, <laughs> and I didn't know you could assign a dwarf to just drop an animal down a pit, and so I found that quite shocking just because it was a, a particular cruelty of Dwarf Fortress that I was not familiar with, even though really there's no reason to think that's any worse than all the kitten biscuits and such like. You can do it to elves, too. You oh, can really? do it to literally everything, because yep. I'm a big fan of toilets. That sounds wrong, <laughs> but good thing this is a Dwarf Fortress uh, podcast. Please listen back to episode number five about, this, <laughs> about to do- about the dwarven yeah. toilets. Let's, yeah, let's about translate that. that. <laughs> yeah, about that and why I'm not a psychopath that likes to cuddle toilets. So you might so, want to go ahead and explain that just yeah. a little bit there. What, what's a dwarven toilet? A dwarven toilet is basically just a deep, deep, deep pit that you dig because you are a bit of a masochist and started in a evil biome and everything will resurrect after a while, and you don't want zombies in your fort, so you make a dump pit where you just chuck everything in that might come back to haunt you later, in a quite literal sense. And also, if you have 
some unwanted animals. You don't want to slaughter them because, well, then you just have like living hair or living cat leather or something. You just chuck the entire animal in there. And after a while, the uh, bottom of the pit will mm, crawl with the undead and uh, <laughs> things will sort themselves out. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're extra fancy, you can also install a waterfall that flushes everything off the map. That's why it's a toilet. I believe that uh, Krug Smash actually, and I, I still think that this was inspired by you, Roland, where the whole point of the fort was to create a water flushing system to take out sieges. So, Oh, you mean King Trap? Was that the, was that the one? I'm, I'm pretty sure because I loved it. Also, big buzzer for Krug Smash in the podcast. Meh, meh, meh. <laughs> That's okay. I'm, I'm sorry, who? <laughs> it's not fair. He, he who must not be named. The poor guy, yeah. Okay. I wonder if you could use uh like walls made out of soap and and uh like floodgate kind of situations to create a filtration and have a renewable dwarven toilet so that you still are able to drink the water that's been filtered Oof. out of the situation. Oof, why would you want that? Like, <laughs> hmm. This was uh, water tastes weird. <laughs> oh yes, we chucked the dead cats in it. Oh, okay. <laughs> why water. do anything in Dwarf Fortress? To see if you, you can. You know, two years into playing this game, and I still have never employed a soap maker. Have oh have seriously? Folks? Yeah, you need soap. You, just, you need soap. You gotta get soap. Yeah, and it, <laughs> it, it's it's like one of those things that's relatively <laughs> complicated. Yes. But once you figure it out, it's really easy. And it, and if you do it, then you feel like you're some sort of like a badass playing the game. You're like, yeah, that's right. I can. I got a soap industry going. That's right. Uh huh. Also, I, you can imagine that your dwarves actually stop stinking. And that's pretty <laughs> pretty neat. Making soap moats at the entrance to my fort so that anyone who comes in has to slide down the soap moat into the water and clamber up the other side, squeaky clean, is still one of my favorite things I've done in a fort. <laughs> can, does, it, does it foam? I mean, can I do? Can I have, like, because if you had a ramp, could you put, like, soap at the top and make it, like, slippery into spikes? Is that oh, I, I, I think that might be taking it too far. Uh-oh. This was a rare, pleasant thing in Dwarf Fortress. No spikes. <laughs> it just deals with the vomit. You go outside, you vomit, you slide back into the fort. I have to imagine like a moat filled with just foam. <laughs> like giant foam. <laughs> and somebody, the elves come to the dwarves after a full year. And before that, there was no moat and no foam. And they're like, fucking dwarves. <laughs> just turn around and go. <laughs> Oh, I think we're going to have to beep something there. Maybe. You know, I think that an F-bomb got through, and I don't think Apple sent Men in Black to kill me. <laughs> the, go- the ghost of Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs' <laughs> turtleneck came back and attacked you. There's no ghost of Steve Jobs. Have you ever... I'm sure you've been to the Apple place, so there are lots and lots of slabs everywhere. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. He's, he's well memorialized. Yeah, it's thoroughly true. put to rest. <laughs> but, but if it's a purple biome... Mm. I think even then. Then his turtleneck really could come after you. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Oh my god. Are you saying that Silicon Valley is an evil biome? Steve Jobs. (laughs) 
right <laughs> rear tooth attacks. <laughs> all right, we should, we should probably edit all that out. <laughs> no, why? No. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, Saying that cool. Apple headquarters is literally a necromancer tower. It's awesome. <laughs> I think it's a necromancer oval. <laughs> oh, boy. I don't know if you guys saw this, but several weeks ago, somebody talked about they had been building a scholar fort, and the dwarves in the fort became such voracious readers that they um, they were reading the books faster than the librarian could reshelve them, and that mm-hmm. upset the librarians, and then chaos ensued. And I was I was taken by that story. I enjoyed yes, it. I did see that. That was great. The idea that. Your fortress could die because you have too many people reading too many books is just, that's so to a fortress. I feel like it's kind of like the real life from having talked to librarians that I know. (laughs) (laughs) It's The struggle is real. We also have to uh, bring up that talking about too many books is actually he had about 200 bookshelves fully stocked. Like that guy had some serious book business going on. And his poor, poor librarians had, like, severe uh, back pain after that. So whenever you're seeding your civilization out to, your, to the area, you know, hamlets, can you take books with you and leave books at other, uh, at other uh, you know, goblin holes and, and elf trees and stuff like that to spread your, your fortress's word? Mm-hmm. Now that you can send, you can exile people. Right. Or exile dwarves. Or you can send dwarves out to um so whenever you have a whenever you're sending a dwarf out on a mission, is one of the options to send them out on a mission to have them move to a new place? I don't actually know. You can you can send people away, but I don't know if you can get them to maybe you can like give them stuff and then send them away. I'm not sure. That was But I know you can kick them out of the fort, yeah. Yeah. I mean, kicking people out of the fort is just people kicking out of the fort. If you take over a settlement, and if they have books, then the books will also stay. But, hmm, I don't so, think Robert, you can... Yeah. Weren't you... Uh, what One of your uh, worlds recently, you were actually spreading the dwarven civilization and trying to actually eradicate all other... Uh, civilizations and replace them with your dwarves, right? Indeed. <laughs> so, to do that, whenever you actually took over another hamlet, another city, fort, or whatever, what was that process like? Um, well, most of the time, I just eradicated life in that particular town, and it sounds horrible, but it worked. So, I would send a squad there. I found out that sending just one squad per town or hamlet works for some reason way smoother than sending several. I don't know why, my experience. And after that, I would either ignore the now empty ghost town or I would send some people I didn't really like. I would make a new squad and send them there to... Does is it conquer? I think it is conquer side, and then they would stay there, and uh, they would no longer 
be citizens of my fort and instead be more of a new group of settlers. Okay. Okay. So if you can figure out a way to get your home written books to take with them whenever they go to conquer a, a site, maybe you could spread books. And see, the, the idea is that I'm thinking of, um, you know, recording the names of the books or, or naming the books whenever you create them and sending them out. And later, during later fortresses in the world, see how much of that ends up coming back to you and see how much of that you can pillage from other civilizations and see, you know, if your, if your books have spread. That seems really fun. It is. It sounds like the complication is that to spread your books, you need to conquer the other towns, in which case uh, there's not so many people around to read said books. So I guess you have to hope that your settlement later gets reconquered by some other group that then takes the books and, and continues to distribute them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have, a, uh, I have had a similar case, not with books in particular, but... In, in, in some fort, I made an artifact spear made of bare bones or something. And later on, I found exactly the same spear in some goblin civilization that I raided and they brought back my spear to a completely different settlement that I uh, played almost a year after in real life. And that was really amazing because I was like, whoa, 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 I know that spear. And in fact, yes, uh, I put up, what's it called, Legend Viewer, and I like surfed a bit through it, and I saw, well, yes, that spear actually traveled from an old settlement of mine to a goblin civilization, then uh, was used there to like poke a few guys and then came back to me in a different settlement. So that was really cool. Do you mean stuff like that? Yes. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, that's pretty much exactly what I'm talking about. And while you were talking, I thought that, is there any way to make something more attractive for a thief? You can have a thief steal Mm. your book. You can. Yeah. But yeah, you know, or, or (laughs) I think gold is supposed to get them all excited uh, i thought it's just general uh value oh, or yeah, is it maybe. specifically gold my first thought was just a bunch of macaques coming in and taking all your books and running off into the jungle with them <laughs> they're just gonna get moldy yeah <laughs> <laughs> or you could make your your fortress's version of like a gutenberg bible and you could encrust these books with gold and gems to make them really valuable and then have them be attractive for for thieves Oh, okay. What about this? Uh, you let one dwarf write a book. And as soon as he's done writing the book, um, you assign several squi- uh, scribes and no scholars. So they start just copying this book over and over and over and over again. And then you have literally a massive amount of the same book and you start piling them up outside. And if a kobold comes running, they are too far away from your entrance, and the kobold could just take it. In. I like it. I like mm-hmm. it. And you and put up a sign that says, please don't take these books. Reverse psychology <laughs> works very well on kobolds. <laughs> and once you have piles and piles and piles of these books outside the entrance to your fortress, or, or maybe like in, a, in an entryway where they're just ready to be taken, you retire the fortress. Mm. That's that, that's a good idea. 
And then, and then let the world disseminate them. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea now of doing that, of taking, you know, getting one dwarf to write one book early on in your fortress and copying it, but also using that to dictate the rest of that fortress's whole ideology. Of like, if he writes about cheese, this is a fortress about cheese now. Yeah, that is what <laughs> has been decreed. We now live by this book. I like it, yeah. Like the Codex Astartes. Yeah, I, I, I really love it, yeah. So I know that things do get propagated around because the one time I decided to cheat when I was playing and I used DF hack to spawn some adamantine axes, thinking that that would get me out of my predicament, which it did. Um, and then just the whole rest of the time that I had that world going, those stupid adamantine cheat axes kept showing up in different people. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it was kind of like a reminder that you're a scumbag. Yeah, karmic. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, I eventually just had to kill the world because I felt like such a dirty, <laughs> dirty, dirty cheater. <laughs> so I think they do find ways. Life finds a way. But wouldn't it be really cool if you have like an adamantine weapon of some sort? Especially if it's completely useless, like an adamantine warhammer, and suddenly some, I don't know, plump helmet man merchant dude shows up in your fortress uh, and is like ah I'm here to drink and he has like this adamantine hammer that is clearly yours and uh, that's awesome yeah makes for a good story is dwarven dentistry a thing yet they can definitely lose teeth but we don't have the ability to give them new gold teeth yet do we <laughs> oh Feature that would be requests. so awesome so Feature awesome request but Mr. <laughs> Adams, let's please do this, Mr. Adams. Again, um, really, if the listeners haven't listened to the entire Dwarf Fortress talk series, they really should talk about that because they went in length uh, the, about dwarven dentistry and whether or not the dwarves can brush their teeth. <laughs> um, oh, I think that the consensus was at that time that that was just getting a little too micromanagey. Might be. Yeah. We can have tears on the eyes, but brushing your teeth is too far. Um, do they even need teeth to eat? Oh, that's a good question. They need teeth to to bite. Uh, yeah, they love you know, they love biting. <laughs> to bite forgotten beasts. That's what I'm trying to say. Mm, kinky. Um, but if you don't really need teeth to eat, wait a second. If I give my dwarf like adamantine teeth and sharpen them, oh. hmm. <laughs> I'm telling you, jaws. <laughs> from the spy who loved me. I'm just thinking of how nasty the tantrum spirals would get now where not only do you have dwarves punching each other in the face, but they bite each other with their sharpened adamantine teeth. <laughs> and then that dwarf comes a vampire and, you know, all pets are Oh, gee. Oh. Okay. Turning to development... The uh, Halloween episode didn't have any development notes in it, but the day before it was actually released, there was a dev notes update. And I think that a couple episodes ago, we were talking about looking for the word release in in uh, the dev notes. And he actually used the word release in the October 30th dev notes. So maybe we're getting close. Um, yeah, you linked it and it was the first word I, I saw and I laughed. And I was in another uh, Discord call uh, while doing that, and my friend was like, "Why are you laughing?" And I was, I went, 
he said release and my friend was like huh so i think he is now trying to fix it up to like get a release going a real release at least that's what i'm hoping for because uh, i want this yeah i really want the the temple and worshiping updates it he mentions in the last note that sounds really exciting to me well i think that if we're getting close to the word release in the notes it's a great sign and i think we should all celebrate oh interestingly enough uh I, I did notice that he discusses the cult of cats in the dev notes, which I think is appropriate given some of the conversation that we had before. Perhaps that's why it was front of mind for us all. No, it was front of mind for me because I was breaking up a cat fight while you guys were talking. Right. Well, you know how to get rid of those, don't you? <laughs> the holidays yes, are just around the corner. Hey, this yeah. is a lovely, lovely leather bag you've made for me, Jonathan. Where did the leather come from? Coffee. <laughs> See, I was Thanksgiving biscuits are delicious. <laughs> I was very disappointed to hear that you can't make slippers out of pets because I have a couple of long-haired cats <laughs> that would make the most wonderful slippers. I think you're mis- misusing the word can't and you're actually thinking shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can. Yeah. You absolutely can. My cat Ginger is really giving me a dirty look right now. So they know. So yeah, uh, what I thought it was cool about that is the idea that whenever you have 10 or so dwarves who are of the same religion, worshiping the same God, petitioned for a priest for that particular religion. And I think that sounds really cool to have an official temple that was petitioned by some of your dwarven worshipers in your fortress. Yeah, I thought that was just the coolest thing. because I And it was making me think about you know different ways of playing dwarf fortress, because I think one of my favorite things about running a fort is when the dwarves have their own kind of desires and an agency in that way where they have requests and, and opinions about things. So I have gotten really into like the scholarly forts and stuff like that. I just love when the dwarves can kind of form their own little guilds. And I've seen mention too in the release notes of crafting guilds. And I think that that's really cool. I'm really looking forward to these new like social relationships between dwarves and then kind of giving you more concrete demands as a fort runner of like, we demand a temple of the cats. To me, that's just a fun story engine thing that now I get to decide what I think a temple of the cats should look like and, and see them all start worshiping cats and stop making kitten biscuits or make more kitten biscuits. I don't really know <laughs> where they would align. But yeah, that's exactly the stuff that I want to see more of in, in Dwarf Fortress personally. Um, yeah, I would be really interested in how this cult mechanic actually goes and how far it goes. Is it just some people worship the god and uh, they want a temple, or do they just create uh, a new god in your fortress? And if you get them their temple and you build stuff for them, is that temple the first temple of that particular god? And your cult dwarfs are the only dwarfs in the world worshipping that particular god and uh, then over time you can actually see uh, this cult maybe spreading out of your fort or just spreading through your fort at first and then spreading out into the world and your temple was the first to be built in dedication to this god Um, and that would be amazing if you have actually a fort of cultist dwarves that would be oh 
And then if you retire it, what happens and how does that impact the rest of the world? Because you could do some neat stuff with that, I think, conceptually. Mm-hmm, you, could, mm-hmm. you know, you could basically just set up all these cults and then kick back and let it go. I think a, I think a really cool thing that I would like to see, and maybe this is already possible, is build, like, do your world, build a couple forts, and then advance time, 250 years or 300 years or whatever. Like, I don't know if, maybe you can do that, but I would, I think that would be really neat just, just to kind of, set some things in motion and then jump back in and see what happens. I get the idea from reading it that it's a situation where whenever your dwarves petition for a, for a priest and for a, 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 a to make your temple area an official I'm air quoting temple, it will start off maybe as a shrine and then it will, it will gain in levels of importance to where it might become a temple and it seemed to me kind of like whenever your fortress becomes, you know, it gets a, a baron, and then eventually it ends up getting a, uh, it ends up getting becoming the capital of your civilization. And it, it seems like an interesting too, like more different routes to go down in terms of the theming of your entire fort. So you can have a fort that's not becoming the new mountain home, but it's becoming the new high temple of, you know, the god of dancing and puppies or whatever's been generated randomly. And I like how that can combine with, you know, the scholarly forts and the taverns. And I love all of that new stuff where you can kind of pick a flavor of like, okay, this fort is going to be the most banging party spot fortress ever. And I'm going to (laughs) build the most popular tavern and fill it with all these different alcohols. Uh, Or maybe you're going to become a monastic sect. Like A big question for me is also, um, I deny my um, people's wish for their new temple or just a tiny room where they can worship their god. If I deny it, do they still do it somehow, somewhere? Or do they switch religion kind of? Do, do they do missionaries? That would be an interesting thing where they try to convert people. Yeah, well, I wonder even within one fortress of like if you have two groups that both set up shrines, are they going to start trying to convert the rest of the fort? Like when a new dwarven mm-hmm. baby is born, <laughs> who gets to indoctrinate them first into which cult? Like, do they end up where their parents are? Uh, is it is it kind of random? I haven't even ever noticed, like when a dwarven baby is born, at what point do they pick a god and which god is it? Like, I sometimes notice, like it is interesting that what god they worship is part of the information for dwarves, but I've never had any reason to do anything with it, so I haven't noticed if families tend to follow the same god. Now I'm really curious when babies <laughs> decide who to worship. Yeah, exactly, and uh, imagine if you can kind of outlaw a cult and it, it sprawls in the deep darkness of your under fort and, and, and people pray and uh, secret pathways and Stuff like that. It's amazing. It's amazing for roleplay. I love it. I kind of like the option best, even though it wouldn't make as much sense narratively. I just love the idea that the baby still gets like a random god, just because I can imagine these dwarven parents who both like worship, you know, some wholesome god of industry and, and mining. And as soon as the baby's old enough to talk, it's like, no, I worship the god of revelry and <laughs> baboon people. It's like, well, where did you hear about this, child? <laughs> Probably in one of the library books. 
He's gonna he's gonna invent an internet simulation for the dwarves. I'm not gonna bother. I I just had a a child born in my Halloween fortress, and I was going to take a look at it and see whether it's uh, whether it's got a uh, that could be our cliffhanger. Whether oh. or not babies are born worshiping a particular god. Yeah, <laughs> that's not a very good cliffhanger. I mean, I'm fascinated. I'm definitely going to be checking as soon as the podcast is done. So we're going to take a short break after this release and come back at the beginning of the new year. Uh, um, I keep saying that. That's the second time that I've said that, and it just I just can't figure out a good way to go into that. Roland, tell everybody that we're going to take a break. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, guys. Um, we... Uh, uh, okay, give me a minute. Fuck. <laughs> Perfect. That's Alexi. it. We got Alexi. it. Tell everybody that the, the podcast right. is going to take a, a couple months break. Oh, is it me? I should say it. I'm a guest. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. You're hey, more everyone. Than a guest. You're a friend of the podcast. I'm a friend of the podcast. Uh-oh. Oh, you're oh, no. Terrible. Fine. Vortex. Just. We'll play lots of jump in the interim. We just got jumped in. We just got jumped also into an alternate reality. I think it's really cool that you have a lot of different people come visit. Hey, Alexi. She's on a CD radio. radio now. Oh my god. What is happening? Oh no, we're dying. <laughs> Alright, I think I fixed it. Oh, cool. Okay. <laughs> Did your phone fall down a rabbit hole? No, into my, one uh, of- <laughs> my, uh, my headset got unplugged. Uh, so I think it must have just switched over to the laptop's built-in audio, which is... Mm. Not so good. And we didn't hear a word of what you said. Yeah. Well, it was really good. It was really, <laughs> yeah, really yeah. good. I gave you, I gave you your perfect holiday hiatus uh, message. So you know, too bad. So inspiring, my God! I'm a little oh. bit tearing up. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my go at announcing your hiatus. I think oh, in your <laughs> it's your. You were even worse than I was. <laughs> we'll just play all of them over top of each other. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be like a barbershop quartet is going to have to do because there are four of us, so we could pull that off. Oh yeah, uh, we we can sing it, guys. Like <clears throat> we will be off. I think we should just tell everybody that because November and December tend to be really busy months, we won't be releasing episodes as regularly as we normally do but after the dawn of 2020 we will be back on a more normal schedule for an exciting new season of Dwarf Fortress Roundtable that's right in all seriousness guys it has been so much fun this this last 9-10 months and uh, we've gotten so much more interest than I could have ever hoped and uh, I so thank you, Alexi, and all of the guests that we've had on the podcast, because they have made it just really, really fun. And I've learned so much about this game. Now it's time to go make some cat leather bags. Yes, and we will return in January. Uh, not sure exactly what part of the month, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be back in January, and we'll continue this and have another wonderful year of Dwarf Fortress plan. Maybe, just maybe, we'll have a new release to play with. That'd be cool. Now you're being grossly optimistic again. Oh, yeah, you've, just, you've just ruined it. <laughs> now he's not gonna... 
Okay, I might cut that. <laughs> 2021. Anyway, thanks so much, Alexi. How do people find you if they want to talk to you and and Twitter at you and stuff like that? Sure, yeah. You can find me on Twitter at ampeppers. And yeah, tweet me about, about Dwarf Fortress. I, I keep wanting now to, to try and get more active on wherever Dwarf Fortress people live because listening to this podcast makes me really want to do more uh, seeing what other people are up to. So maybe I'll try and actually like make a Reddit account or something like that so I can take part in more things dwarfy. That's awesome to hear because I don't want to repel people from the game. <laughs> okay. Okay, guys. Uh, thanks for uh, for joining us, Alexi. Thanks for being here with me, Tony and Roland. And thanks for listening into the podcast. And we'll see you in January. Yeah, see you guys later. Have a good one. Until then, bye-bye. Bye. This has been Dwarf Fortress Roundtable, the podcast for all things dwarfy. You can find all our past episodes at dfroundtable.com. Please stop by and leave a comment or suggestion in the comments section of this episode. While you're there, you can subscribe to Dwarf Fortress Roundtable or find us in the podcast service of your choice. Music is Sky Q. Ellen, composed by Kevin McLeod. You can find Kevin McLeod's music at incompetech.com. You can find a link in the show notes. This is a bituminous coal podcast. All Crafts Dwarfship is of the highest quality. It is encrusted with round bituminous coal cabochons and encircled with bands of marquee-cut rose quartzes. On the item is an image of two badgers in bituminous coal. On the item is an image of no king Malisinch the goblin and Thomo Tempest Butter the human in bituminous coal. Thomo Tempest Butter is shooting no king Malisinch. The artwork relates to the shooting of the goblin no king Malisinch by the human. Thomo Tempest Butter in Witch Tongs in the common swamps in the early winter of 158 during Belrocknashra, the Scorching Attack.